Father, we thank you that this morning we can come together as a church and we can sing and worship you and pray for the needs of this church and the needs around us. We thank you for the privilege to meet with each other, to experience this fellowship and the bonds that we have in Christ. And we thank you for your word and that you are more than willing to open it for us, speak to us. And that is what we pray for, that through your spirit, you will speak directly to our hearts. Um, I have been preparing this message, but I trust that you know of each one of us, what we need to hear, what the needs are, what we are dealing with and I just pray that for each one in this room there will be something to take home, something to consider, something to be challenged by, something to be encouraged by. We also pray for our children uh, that are sitting in the Sunday school classes now. We pray that you will speak to them as well through your word in the Lord Jesus in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we will look at the first half of Mark chapter 8. We just continue our series. And this chapter is about the feeding of the 4,000. In chapter 6 we had the feeding of the 5,000. And maybe you're like, okay... Just uh, copy that sermon and change the five into a four, and <laughs> that's good for those who were not here three weeks ago. But I believe that the word of God is always richer than that, there is more to it. So let's read the passage um, Mark 8, verse 1 uh, through 21. Mark 8. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far, from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. <coughs> and they set them before the crowd. And they had a, small, a, f- a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanuta. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, 
seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? So, as I said, in Mark 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And there also you read about a great crowd and that Jesus had compassion on them. The disciples were quite ready to send them home. But Jesus had compassion because it says they were like sheep without a shepherd. And here in chapter 8, Jesus calls his disciples again. And there was nothing to eat, it says in verse 1. They had nothing to eat. So you would expect Jesus to give some um, commands, some, some orders. But no. If you read carefully and slowly, you see that Jesus didn't give orders immediately. But instead, he is sharing his heart, his feelings. He says, I have compassion. I would put that as a title above this sermon. I have compassion on the crowd. It's a very strong word in the Greek. It describes being moved in the inward parts. So why is Jesus sharing his feelings, his yeah, his feelings with his disciples? Well, obviously because he wants them to know he wants them to know, I have compassion. And this morning the words of Jesus come to us. I have compassion with the people around you, here in JB, in Malaysia and in the whole world. May you look around you and may you hear the things going on, the coronavirus, and that is just one of the many things going on in this world. You sometimes feel overwhelmed, right? All the misery and the evil. And maybe you start to wonder whether God actually cares. It's just going on and on and on. I was talking to my grandfather recently. 95 years old. Struggling with the things that happened during the war. 
He said, ask and it shall be given to you, is what the Bible says. It's not true, right? Does God even care? The thing goes just on and on and on. This morning Jesus shares his own feelings with us. He says, I have compassion. So whatever happens and whatever does not happen, never give up believing that he has compassion. He does care. And he wants his disciples to know that. I have compassion on the crowd. And not just the crowd as in this chapter and in chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. But we have also seen in Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel, that he had compassion for the individual. This leper, an unclean man. It says in Mark 1:41, he was moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him. Maybe the man couldn't even remember the last time that someone touched him. He was a leper, unclean, not to be touched. But Jesus touched him. And Jesus wants us to know how he feels about the people, the masses, the whole world, but also the individual. So that we take heart. He does care. But not only that, it is also a challenge. A question that we need to ask ourselves. How about me? How about you? Do we have compassion? I'm encouraged to hear in the prayers at the back before the service and also during the service and in the songs that are selected. It seems we do have compassion. There is this desire to reach out to the world around us. It is encouraging to notice that. Last week I spent some time in KL with my brother. Um, we were walking somewhere near the KLCC area. And then suddenly we saw this man. He was wearing only, only a pair of jeans and no belt. He literally was not able to hold up his own pants. He was standing there half naked basically with a cigarette between his fingers just standing and staring in the nowhere out of his mind and people as always in KL passing by all directions and he was just standing there and I was wondering when was the last time that somebody touched this man where would he sleep that night? And more importantly, where is he going to spend eternity? And that same question you can also ask about the girl in the MRT that is happily chatting with her friends. Or the guy in the Mercedes with his suit and tie. Where will they be? Jesus said, I have compassion on the crowd. Do you have compassion? Do you have a burden for people that live their lives without Jesus and leave this life without Jesus? Does your heart cry out to God when you see the people around you? I think it is 
good to feel that burden. It is not nice, but it is good. But then also to bring that burden to Jesus. Otherwise, it might crush us. The disciples felt a bit of that burden. How can one feed those people with bread here in this desolate place? They ask in verse 4. The task seems so overwhelming, right? But Jesus asked them very simply, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And my question is, how many days do you have in a week? And the answer is also seven. So do you commit every day to the Lord and expect Him to make you a blessing for the people you're going to meet that day? Are you aware of the need of the people around you during those seven days? And do you pray for them? Yes, the task is overwhelming. There are just too many people, but Jesus is there. You would think that the disciples immediately thought of the feeding of the 5,000. I think that happened just a couple of weeks ago. You would expect to see the confidence in their eyes, right? Confidence in their master. How is he going to do it this time? Sure, we, we cannot do this, but he can. We have seen that. But you don't find that confidence. At least when you read the text... It seems that they can only think of the impossibility of feeding 4,000 men. Does that sound familiar? To me it does. You know, you might have an experience with the Lord. Where he provided or did, did something and you're like, wow, he is real. And you are greatly encouraged. Your faith is strengthened. And one week later, it's not that you have forgotten the experience but somehow it doesn't it almost doesn't help you you would think that having experienced that would help you to meet the next challenge but somehow it doesn't we find it hard to trust him for the next thing and maybe that is the reason why there is the feeding of the 5000 and also the feeding of the 4000 Sometimes a test needs to be repeated. Just like in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they just came out of Egypt in the wilderness, in the desert. And then God puts them to a test. There's no water for them to drink. And they start complaining and grumbling instead of trusting God. They sort of fail the test. You can read that in Exodus 15. And then in chapter 17... The no water test, if I may call it, is repeated. They failed the first. So again, there's no water. And then the Lord provides water from the rock. So the test is repeated because we are really slow in learning things. At least I am. So the disciples also had to learn again that Jesus could do what they could not do. But that does not mean that Jesus is just bypassing his disciples. It's not that he says, you know, stay back and watch. I'll do this. Instead, of course, he multiplies the bread and later on also the fish. That was obviously something that the disciples could not do. But then he gives it to the disciples 
and they have to give it to the people. That is encouraging in one sense, but it is also a very sobering thought when we apply it to ourselves, because when we apply this chapter, I automatically think not so much of bread and fish, but of the gospel, the word of God, the good news, that Jesus can multiply, but then he gives it to us to hand it out to the people. It's a sobering thought that God has decided to use us, his children, to reach out to the world and to feed them with the gospel of Jesus, the bread of life. I remember reading about missionaries who reached people, of course, and they then heard the gospel for the first time and they received Christ. These tribal people without much contact with with the outside world and to them it was like okay you know this and now you tell us how long have you know this because why didn't you come earlier because my father my mother passed away already and then the honest answer was we have known this for 2000 years 2000 years Apple and Google and Facebook have conquered the world within one generation. So I asked myself the question, what went wrong with reaching the world with the gospel? Of course, the gospel is not the same thing as Google. All these things that conquer the world are like happily received and we feel that we cannot do without it. Whereas a lot of people think they can do without the gospel. It's not the same thing. I'm aware of that. But yet, we sort of need to scratch our heads. What went wrong? That there are still people who never heard about Jesus after 2,000 years. I also know that there's always new generations, new people, but still. I read about um, this man. Maybe you heard his name, Nabil Gureshi. He was a very devout Muslim. But then he became friends with a Christian. And this friend had a sincere interest in him. And Nabil was looking for Allah, but he found Jesus. He wrote a book on that, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It took four years. And God was really at work, even revealing himself and speaking to him through dreams. But, and thank God that he does that. Maybe because we don't do a very good job. But mostly he was, God was at work through this friend who invested in Nabil, challenged him, talked to him, but who was also a real friend. And he prayed fervently for him. After three years, his church because the whole church was behind him praying for this one man the church said you know you need to move on his name was David David you need to move on this guy hopeless but he said no he continued praying and after four years 
this man came to Christ. And he said, this Nabil, he said, he never met a Christian like that before. Because he would challenge a lot of Christians about their faith. And it seemed to him that most Christians either didn't really believe what they said they believed, or they just didn't bother that he was going to hell. Do we bother that people are going to hell? I don't think that when you let that question sink in, we don't need to panic. Like, oh, now suddenly I need to reach out to 4,000 or 4 million or 4 billion. Because that is a desperate thought. And an overwhelming task. But the question is, do we give what we have to Jesus? Our time, our money, our talents, our lives basically. So that he can use us for his glory and for the good of the people out there. It is interesting to note, to notice in Mark 8 that the disciples gave seven loaves to the Lord in verse 6. What do you have? Oh, yes, seven loaves. They gave it to the Lord. So he prayed or gave thanks for it, broke it, and, you know, it's distributed. And then it's only after that, after Jesus multiplied the bread, that suddenly you also read in verse 7 about fish. It almost seems to me that they were holding back the fish. Like, you know, you, you never know. This is my lunch. Here's the bread. And then, oh, wow, it's multiplying. Oh, we have also fish. It, it, seems, it seems to be like that a bit. And the question is, to us, are we holding back anything? Or can I, can you honestly sing, take my life and let it be consecrated God to thee? And then the blessing was amazing. Seven big baskets full of leftovers. Thousands of people were satisfied. And at the end of the meal, for every loaf that they started with, there was a full basket of leftovers. It's a type of basket. The Greek word is different than the feeding of the 5,000. It's the word that is also used for Paul, who was um, escaping out of Damascus, being lowered in a basket. So this is not a you know, a small lunch basket, but a, a big thing. Seven. It is not a small thing to give your all to Jesus. We might sing the song and not let it sink in, but it is a big thing to surrender your life, to give your all to Jesus. It is a real sacrifice. But it is worth it. Jesus is worthy. And I think that as a church we have to think and pray how we can make an effort as a church in reaching out to people. There is a lot of material available. In fact, Sam was telling me that uh, we, we were talking about it. 
you know, shall we buy this uh, Christianity Explored books that you can use for small groups? Um, and then there's Alpha course, and there's there's a lot of things. Sam bought the Christianity Explored series already. It's available in English and Chinese and Bahasa. There's a lot of material, but the question is, are there also the people that will stand up and that will say, I am ready, I'm prepared to share my faith with non-Christians? And the question is also, are we intentional in our contacts and in our friendships? You just think of Nabil and his friend. There was not a hidden agenda, like, you know, I, I don't bother about you, I just want to enforce my faith on you. No. It was a sincere friendship. But there was also the intention and the prayer and the desire that this man would find Christ. What about your colleagues? Can you say, I love my colleagues? I'm not suggesting that you approach them and say, I love you. But ask yourself, do you just like your colleagues or at least some of them? Or can you say, I love my colleagues. I love them for Christ's sake. A lot of questions. Let's move on to the second section verse 11 says that the Pharisees came seeking a sign from heaven seriously after all those healings we are now in chapter 8 right and it started in chapter 1 healing after healing feeding of 5,000 and 4,000 raising people from the death They were seeking for a sign from heaven. Was there ever, in the whole Old Testament that they knew so well, was there ever a false prophet that raised people from the dead? What do you mean, show us a sign from heaven? And then you read in verse 12, And he sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, no. No sign. Then he gets into the boat and he leaves. So he crosses the lake, gets there, Pharisees get to him. All he can do is say no and then go back. That's all that he could do in Dalmanuta. I am somebody who thinks a lot. I have a lot of questions. And I remember from the age of 11, I would talk a lot with my mom for hours, day after day. I had doubts and fears and questions and sometimes I wonder what I have learned since I was 11. It's quite frustrating. We want proof and evidence, but for some people no amount of evidence is enough. And here to the Pharisees, Jesus says, enough. No sign. And when you read the same parallel passage in Matthew 16, it says, An evil and adulterous generations, generation seeks for a sign, 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So what is the sign of Jonah? Well, if you know the story, Jonah was three days and three nights in that fish in the heart of the sea. And it is uh, interesting that Jesus was not skeptical about this story. He took it as history and then he applied it to himself. His death, burial and resurrection. That is the sign of Jonah. That crucial event in history that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that. That Jesus died for me and rose again for me. I believe that. But the Pharisees never accepted that. They rather paid money to the Roman soldiers that were guarding the grave. And they got the shock of their lives when suddenly an angel appeared and rolled the stone away. And they fall on the ground like dead men. And then they go and, and tell the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, oh, here's money. A lot of money, actually. Say that the disciples came and stole the body. And we make sure that you guys will be fine. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus had quite a bit to say to the Pharisees. In uh, Matthew 23, for example. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Because their religion was an outward religion. They looked for honor and status. They made their own rules. Making the word of God void. We saw that in Mark 7 a few weeks ago. So then here in this chapter, Mark 8... Jesus warns his disciples beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod so leaven is that um, sort of sourdough nowadays we use yeast right sourdough that permeates the dough and in the Bible leaven is always a picture of evil, of corruption of sin, something small that spreads like cancer really and Jesus says beware and then he's talking about their teaching and their hypocrisy you see that in Matthew 16 and in Luke 12 so that's the leaven of the Pharisees and then also the leaven of Herod there was a king with a lot of political influence very rich living for himself it is the effect of worldliness so you have hypocrisy which is an outward religion then you have false teaching or selective teaching or one-sided teaching and you have worldliness maybe prosperity gospel if you like and don't we see nowadays that it spreads like leaven in churches all over the place Just now I mentioned hell, people going to hell. There are surveys on the internet investigating how many people still believe in that idea of hell. And more and more people, including pastors, they give up on this doctrine for the sake of being inclusive, 
for the sake of not being offensive. All sorts of theories, but basically they give up on that difficult side of the word of God. But if we pick and choose what we like, if we have our favorite verses in the Bible and just ignore the rest, then the word of God is no longer the word of God. And that will spread like leaven and corrupt the whole thing. Till one day you find out that you lost everything. Christianity then becomes a lifestyle. And going to church becomes a feel-good social gathering. And charity and reaching out to the poor becomes the focus of the gospel. Nothing wrong with reaching out to the poor. But that is not the gospel. And Jesus will just be there to bless the whole thing. He warns his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then he says, do you not yet understand in Mark 8 verse 17, are your hearts hardened? You see, even followers of Christ can have their hearts hardened. I think when we buy the compromises of the so-called Christian world, our hearts will harden. We have to accept the authority of the Word of God. It is there, one of our core values. The Bible as our sole authority. We cannot just have our favorite verses and ignore the rest. And then secondly, come close to the heart of Jesus. That is the remedy. When our hearts are being hardened, we need to come close to Jesus and hear him say, I have compassion on the crowd. We don't need to panic because Jesus is there. He says, do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they say, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they say, seven. Do you not yet understand? So what was it that the disciples had to understand? Well, when I think about it, there were thousands of people that needed to be fed. There were physical needs, practical needs, but most importantly, spiritual needs. And then there's so much false teaching and hypocrisy and worldliness, and you just feel overwhelmed sometimes. What am I going to do, Lord? We only brought one bread. That's what the disciples said. That's all we have. Barely enough to sustain ourselves. Give it to me, says Jesus. Come close to me. I can do what you cannot do. And I want you to know this. I have compassion on the crowd. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this chapter. Jesus, we thank you for sharing your heart, your own feelings with your disciples, even 
before you ask them to do anything. Father, help us to trust that your heart is good, full of compassion, slow to anger, rich in mercy. And help us then to surrender our lives into your hands each day again as we wake up in the morning to ask ourselves that question, what do I have? And even if it is not much, we want to give it to you so that you can use us every day of the week. And we look forward to the blessing that you only can give. So we commit ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.